Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. U.S. manufacturing activity declined further in the month of June. The ISM manufacturing PMI at 46, the lowest level that we've seen since May of 2020. A surge in auto production during April helped to prevent negative year-on-year growth. However, the softening survey data suggests that a contraction in annual production is still on the horizon. Here's ISM Manufacturing Business Committee Chair Tim Fiore. Now, I think the problem here is that there's there's still no demand, and uh, we we burned off the overordering. The backlog is still contracting at a very very strong rate. You know, there's five things that I watch uh, to, to, that's going to indicate when we see a turnaround. Only one of them is positive, and that's on the, the lead time side. One highlight of the report shows a drop in the prices sub-index. It indicates that prices that producers pay to their parts suppliers are falling more quickly. We go to China next, where the government has imposed new restrictions on the exportation of two metals crucial to both the production of semiconductors and certain materials used in the EV industry. Story from Bloomberg's Bonnie Au in Hong Kong. Call it a tit-for-tat or an escalation of the U.S.-China trade war. The move will add to U.S.-China tensions just as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visits Beijing to cool things down. China says the metals, gallium and germanium, will be subject to control starting August 1st. Exporters will need to apply for a license from the Ministry of Commerce, and they'll need to report details of the overseas buyers. China is the dominant producer of the two metals. And although the materials are not particularly rare, China keeps the prices low. And with these new controls, that's likely to change. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie Al Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Apple's Vision Pro virtual reality headset is off to a slow start. Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky reports. Apple is slashing production targets for the $3,500 headset as manufacturers struggle with the gadget's complex design. According to the Financial Times, Apple is now preparing to make fewer than 400,000 units of the headset next year. Plans for a cheaper version of the Vision Pro are said to have been pushed back. Apple unveiled the Vision Pro last month in a move to sustain sales momentum and to try to propel a mixed reality industry that has struggled for years to make it into the mainstream. Larry Kofsky. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Saudi Arabia will extend its production cut of a million barrels a day by one month. This move is aimed at what officials see as stubbornly weak oil prices. Now, the kingdom's effort will get a little bit of help from Russia, which is set to reduce its exports by 500,000 barrels a day beginning in August. Here's Bloomberg's Will Kennedy. 
I think the Russia move perhaps was a little bit more surprising. Clearly, there's been a lot of focus on Russia's compliance with their existing uh, commitments. Um, and for them to make an extra commitment at this stage is very interesting. I think what the market will really take from that is that the alliance between Riyadh and Moscow remains strong, that they're determined mm -hmm. to work together uh, to keep the oil market where they want it. Um, and this today's move and the Russian side of that was perhaps a little surprising. Bloomberg's Will Kennedy there. By the way, so far this year, Moscow has has dragged its heels on the cutback seen by OPEC Plus as Russia faces uh, more pressure to keep funds flowing to its war against Ukraine. Brian? In the meantime, India's state oil refiners are considering paying for Russian crude oil in the Chinese currency, the yuan. The oil refiners include Bharat Petroleum and Hindustan Petroleum. Officials from the two refiners say that there's a risk that the use of these currencies for trade with Russia will be stopped. Refiners are thus looking for different types of alternatives. However, an industry official said that the refiners are unlikely to use the yuan for multiple cargoes from Russia as higher demand demand for the currency will make the exchange rate unfavorable. The official also said that selling dollars to buy yuan would result in India effectively helping China further its currency agenda, potentially a politically unpalatable step. In the meantime, Reuters has reported that some of these types of transactions in yuan for Russian crude were already made last month. All right, eight minutes past the hour. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. So we've got U.S.-China tensions increasing seemingly a notch here. Uh, although, as we mentioned in our story, Doug, uh, some of these metals are, are widely available, but they won't be as cheap, I suppose, if other countries like Japan, South Korea, Russia, Belgium, if, if they are eventually the end suppliers, then the prices uh, could be higher. So it's something that will definitely... Um, make Janet Yellen's trip to China this week uh, quite interesting. I think that's fair to say. We were talking on the call before the program about this move on the part of uh, China to explore to explore the possibility of um, sourcing some of the core materials that are used for lithium production and refining those in uh, South America before those uh, materials are exported back to China. This just shows how shrewd China has been in really dominating a lot of the raw material markets used for things like EV batteries and even semiconductors. Yeah, both sides are quite active now on this front, trying to uh, outcompete with the other, speaking of the two sides, U.S. and China. And that will be, as we mentioned, uh, quite under the spotlight this week with Janet Yellen uh, going there. Now, her new counterpart is Vice Premier He Lifeng, and uh, he, he has succeeded Liu He. And you'll remember, Doug, that when Yellen and Liu met back in, uh, in January in Zurich, their rapport was so good that they at one point dismissed their aides so that they could talk privately. And uh, so it'll be really interesting to see how this new dynamic is between Janet Yellen and, and uh, Holly Fong. Holly Fong, like Liu He, is said to be a very long confidant of President Xi Jinping. Well, it's going to be very interesting, particularly since um, the moment that you kind of referenced since that time. I mean, the administration has seemingly leaned more uh, severely into a lot of the restrictions on uh, certain types of technology, particularly where advanced semiconductors are concerned. 
Yeah, it's a pretty interesting part of the relationship. Anything high tech and that besides semiconductors, uh, these particular metals that we talked about today are used in, in solar panels, in the making of solar panels in, in um, electric vehicles and, and even telecommunications. So it's pretty broad. So what else we have on today? We've got the Reserve Bank of Australia decision. So that'll be interesting. And we just did a couple of stories about oil. Uh, I wonder what... Uh, Saudi and Russia extending this supply cut says about uh, end demand. Are they not seeing strong end demand? And what does that mean for the global economy? Well, if you look at what's going on here stateside, I think the clue may be the government forecast now for an increase in U.S. oil production uh, to an average 12.6 million barrels a day this year. That would be up from around 11.9 million. So anything that the U.S. is adding to the market, I think OPEC Plus is trying to take away as a way of ensuring that oil prices try to remain higher. But against that you've got concern about global growth weakening and maybe it's that that's going to continue to pl- apply downward pressure on the price of oil. Yeah, that's why I say I, I wonder what it means about demand. All right, it's time now for global news. Well, a top Chinese military official is calling for closer ties with Russia and Harvard admissions policy under the gun once again. For more on the news, let's get to Denise Pellegrini in the Bloomberg Newsroom. Denise. Thank thank you, Brian. And minority groups are now calling on the U.S. government to investigate Harvard and its admissions policies. Bloomberg's Eric Larson calls it all. He says they're accusing the university of giving preferential treatment to children of Harvard alums and to wealthy donors. They say about 70% of the students who get in through these legacy programs are white and that because Harvard University receives federal funds, that this uh, allegedly violates uh, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by making it easier for white students to get in through this process. Yeah, and Larson also calls this new complaint against Harvard fallout from last week's Supreme Court ruling ending affirmative action. China says it wants more cooperation with Russia's military. China's Defense Minister Li Shengfu commenting in a meeting with the Commander-in-Chief of Russia's Navy And this indicates Russia still has Beijing's back and Beijing still has Russia's back. Even after the aborted Wagner mutiny, the U.S. has been asking Beijing, meantime, not to support Russia in the war against Ukraine. And CIA Director Bill Burns, well, he's been warning continuously. He's doing it again through the holiday weekend, warning about the danger that China presents. Russia's aggression poses a formidable test, but China is the only country with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to do so. And Burns speaking there at a lecture in Oxfordshire, England. Hong Kong police are putting $100,000 bounties on wanted democracy activists. They're offering rewards for information leading to the arrest of eight people wanted under the Beijing-drafted national security law, including former lawmakers Nathan Law and Dennis Kwok and others. They're all currently living in self-imposed exile in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and Australia. Hong Kong police are calling them all fugitives. Security is tight in Manhattan as crews scramble to set up for tomorrow night's fireworks. New York City's acting police commissioner, Edward Caban, less than a week into his new role. He'll be leading his officers through the one of the busiest times for the city. He says there are a lot of undercover officers trying to keep everyone safe. There'll be much the public will see and much the public will not see. And one thing you will see in addition to a lot of police officers is a lot of street shutdowns if you're driving around, so be prepared. And the rich keep getting richer. And you can thank this year's stock boom for that. Bloomberg's Nathan Hager has more. 
The 500 richest people on the Bloomberg Billionaires Index added $852 billion to their fortunes in the first half. That's an average of $14 million a day over the last six months as the S&P 500 rose 16%. It's the best half year for billionaires since the back half of 2020. That's when the economy bounced back from the COVID-induced slump. Bloomberg's Nathan Hager reporting there in Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. In New York, I'm Denise Pellegrini, and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And I'm Brian Curtis in Hong Kong, along with Rishad Salamat. And our guest is Peter Halesworth, founder and portfolio manager of Hengren Partners. Peter, great to have you back on the program. So a lot of the rally in the U.S. this year has been a kind of mean reversion trade, a lot of money rushing into tech, which was hit so hard last year. I'm wondering if you could see China be the the beneficiary of mean reversion in that Sentiment has not been good year to date, uh, and whether or not in the second half it could be a time for interest to increase in China. Your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Brian. I would say that uh, there's a a likelihood, but it's going to take time for that to occur. I think right now uh, there's a crisis of confidence um, towards investing in, in Chinese stocks due to unpredictable policy and mixed messages. Uh, coming from the, the government, and there really needs to be a concerted and consistent um, initiative to restore credibility with consistency before I think you can have a serious case of uh, FOMO uh, take, uh, take, a, um, take effect in, in China. Peter, could you argue now that given what you said about the fears that uh, people have of investing in China, that uh, we have now a discount built into the stock market there? And if so, how much is it? And does that represent then, you know, perhaps a a buying opportunity at certain points where people will, other people will get FOMO as a consequence? Oh, absolutely, Rish. I I agree. And we're bold on uh, Chinese equities. For the long term, um, we've written out uh, many, um, many wobbles in confidence in the past, and we've come out and done uh, well for our investors. I would say the, the issue is that um, these discounts can remain in place and deeply embedded for a long time. Um, yeah, we, we certainly—go uh, ahead, just, finish your thought. Yeah, just as, mu- just as much as a bubble— 
you know, can continue on uh, beyond um, beyond rationality. Um, I would say the inverse that uh, discounts can be deep discounts can be embedded for a long time. Uh, if investors all at once have the same reason to lose confidence, turn their back, and consider a a country or a market like China as a permanent underperformer. Remember what happened in Japan. For more than two decades, it was uh, an underperforming component and a large component of the IFA indexes. And uh, IFA managers could easily outperform just by uh, being underweight or zero in Japan. The same could happen for China if they don't start to become more consistent in their policy and um, really give up on these mixed messages that they send uh, to investors, not only foreign, but also domestic. I wanted to drill down a little bit more on why the loss of investor confidence. Uh, We know that part of it's because of regulatory decisions, and part of it may be in terms of stimulus. Um, As you look at that, that pie, um, you know, where do you see the the biggest um, uh, issues of hitting investor confidence? Well, I think you have the overhang of the uh, the property uh, bubble burst. I think that is uh, that, that's a that's a problem that's just not going to go away easily and simply without um, without some uh, strong and uh, concerted and overwhelming action from the government. We have not seen that. And secondly, um, I, I can't recall uh, when this administration has done any meaningful or significant stimulus. Right. But I mean, the thing is, what type of stimulus are we talking about here? And you know what's likely to work? Because, I mean, the old playbook certainly is not going to be fit for purpose, is it now? No, but I think there has to be a version of uh, putting money directly into uh, consumers' pockets. Uh, so I think we need to, you know, see whether it be, uh, you know, temporary tax cuts, uh, whether it be, um, you know, holidays on property tax, um, whatever it takes to really stuff the pockets of consumers with money and get them spending again, uh, because that really isn't happening at the pace uh, everyone uh, thought would happen. And now we're in a position where, you know, we're waiting for a stimulus to kind of come to the rescue and uh, the helicopters with the money aren't arriving. And how much to the lack of confidence do you attribute to weakness in U.S.-China relations? Uh, a good amount, because I think the the Taiwan issue really resurrects the fears that um, uh, investors, especially global and emerging market investors, have about what happened uh, with Russia post-Ukraine. I mean, that is a sore that just hasn't healed. There was permanent capital loss if you had exposure to Russia. And if um, if there is a, uh, any kind of uh, military conflict regarding Taiwan, um, I think I think uh, global and emerging market investors, Brian, fear that they could also suffer a permanent capital loss as a result of that. Final question. Uh, how much does the success of the U.S. equity market, uh, how much of a role does that play in sucking money out of some Chinese investments, uh, your, yourself included? Um, well, we don't we don't invest in the U.S. We invest uh, only in Chinese um, stocks and uh, we've done well. 
uh, by being very uh, situational and selective. But I would say I would point more towards India and Japan as the beneficiaries of money that used to be destined for China have now gone to those markets. And you can yeah, see it point. in their uh, in their indexes. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.